what's the point of the League Cup? It's literally just a mini FA Cup. Only get 100k if you win it. Adds unnecessary extra games. Why does it exist? Pointless. The best solution is to exclude the top six clubs from the trophy. That's the only solution. Give it to mid-table clubs like Southampton. To be fair, Physical Scholar 4238 on Reddit does have a point. The League Cup has always played second fiddle to its more illustrious counterpart. But dig a little deeper and you'll find some gold. Fairy tale cup runs, weird and wonderful sponsorships, that opportunity to win silverware, because maybe other clubs just don't really care that much about it. All part of what makes the other cup so good. Good morning, Mr. Warden. Good morning, Arthur. Oh, what a glamorous introduction to the League Cup. Um, Leads us perfectly into talking about it for an hour or so. Uh, But so many stories to uncover in the other cup in English football. Heroes who've risen to the top, comebacks, incredible results. Uh, I think this will be a good one. Some absolute icons of the game uh, forming part of this other cup 11. We're employing a 4-4-2 formation today. Yeah, it's an exciting one to discuss. It certainly is. And if the FA Cup has magic, this is more of a sizzle. Uh, get in touch at 11pod, the word, not the number, with your suggestions. Any players who've played a pivotal role in the League Cup over the years. Arthur, in between the League Cup sticks today. It's Matt Duke. <laughs> Uh, great yeah yeah uh, on wikipedia he's actually given gve and gvco after his name um which i'm a bit a bit baffled they're orders of knighthood and chivalry um what? and and rather than someone trolling him on on wikipedia i actually think it might be stemming from the fact that those are duke of edinburgh's titles so okay. duke and thought that it must be the duke of edinburgh i don't know he signed for Hull City for just 20k from Burton, where he'd impressed as number one for four years. Uh, at Hull, he was, for the most part, second choice to Boaz Myhill, or even third goalkeeper with moments of brilliance, to be honest. He was, in my mind, he was much like Eldin Yakupovic. So his starts were infrequent, but repaid with stellar performances. It all started in the 2007 8 League Cup, where a good game against Crewe earned him a start in the two subsequent championship games. But sadly, injury struck, so he was he was back on the pines thereafter. Um, on the 5th of January 2008, he underwent an operation to remove a testicular tumour. Um, and the fight against cancer has been a cause close to his heart for the rest of his career. He did recover. And in 2008-9, he impressed again in cup football, uh, in League Cup and FA Cup matches, Cle- keeping two clean sheets against Newcastle, resulting in him being called up to make his Premier League debut in 2009 against West Ham. Uh, Although Hull lost the game 2-0, he saved a penalty and was City's man of the match, um, retaining his place in the side for the next nine games. Uh, And penalties seem to be something of a frequent occurrence for Matt Duke uh, throughout his career. He, he's, he's faced lots and saved lots, uh, which is good because we love that in an 11 goalkeeper. Eventually, he wound up at Bradford uh, and that's where his case for inclusion in the 11 takes shape. In the 2012-13 League Cup, Phil Parkinson's League Two side 
took some massive scalps, including Wigan in the last 16, uh, where he kept a clean sheet and saved a penalty in the shootout. But none were bigger than the quarterfinal win over Arsenal on penalties at Valley Parade. Bradford's team cost 7.5k to construct, whereas Arsenal played a fairly full-strength outfit. They had Szczesny in goal, Sanya, Mertesacker, Vermaelen, Kazola, Ramsey, Wilshire, Podolski, the mighty Javinho played. Wow. And actually, the, the who I see as a pretty League Cup specialist, Francis Coquelin. Yes, um, agreed. Quite, quite League Cup-y, isn't he? Very. Um, but Duke was again the hero. He saved a Cazorla penalty. So they made their way through. They knocked out Villa in two legs in the semi-final. Uh, an inspired performance by Duke in the second leg um, preserved their um, their first leg 3-1 victory. And he puts their qualification as England's first fourth-tier side to qualify for a major final at Wembley down to snowballs. Um, <laughs> he says, basically, he describes the journey uh, when they're on the bus. He says, we met the coach at Balborough for some of the lads who travel and the coach driver pulls the coach in and it gets stuck. We're all off the coach, pushing it and trying to get it out. We're all off the bus having a laugh, having a snowball fight. It was such an occasion that's massive. And we could be over tense. And we were having a laugh and a good time. That's testament to the staff. We're just a good set of lads who get on and we have a good time playing with snowballs. <laughs> Little things like that disrupt the preparation and get you in a good headspace. Wow. Sadly, they lost 5-0 to Swansea in the final. <laughs> oh, yeah. I-, I remember that cup run. It was absolutely incredible um, for Bradford to, to go that far um, and-, and nearly qualify for Europe despite being a lower league team, I think it's one of the most impressive cup runs we've we've seen in recent years, to be honest. You're absolutely right. It didn't end that well for Duke because he was actually sent off in the final. He brought down Jonathan de Guzman, who was charging at goal and, uh, and was frankly quite rightfully shown a, a red card. But I thought it was important to get a Bradford fan's perspective on this. And I'm fortunate to live with one of them. So here's Will Barker giving his views. Well, I've got so many unbelievable memories from that cup run in 2012 that it's difficult to know where to start. You know, for years, relegation and administration, relegation and admin, and then Phil Parkinson has pulled together this team from absolutely nowhere. There was a real never-say-die attitude about the team, especially in the cup run, and we should have been out in the early rounds. And Notts County missing an open goal, 1-0 down to Watford, and then 2-0 down to Burton Albion with five minutes left before knocking out Premier League Wigan away from home. Um, and then beating, you know, full strength thing as Arsenal at home, and then Villa in the semi final over two legs to somehow make it to Wembley. I'll never forget those games and queuing up in the freezing cold at three AM just to get tickets for Villa Park. I know you're going to talk about Matt Duke and goal, but there were so many great players in that team, and we played some truly great football. You know, Carl McHugh, Rory McArdle, Stephen Darby at the back, Gary Jones, Gary Thompson, Narky Wells, and James Hansen. You know, I could, I could, I could, I could talk for hours about some of these players, but it was such a truly incredible year and. The, fantastic experience for for all Bradford fans. A cup run is just epic, isn't it? It does it, and it can turn around a season's fortunes. I, I enjoy the fact that Zavon Hines was in that Bradford side as well. He feels yeah. very League Cuppy to me. He does. Ex-West Ham style. Yeah, he? very yeah. much. I can imagine him and Freddie Sears playing in League Cup <laughs> games for West Ham. <laughs> so true, so true. Have you got left back then? I do, and I've gone for Steve Staunton. 
Okay. Was he? He was Irish, wasn't he? He was. He still is. Um, oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, we'd we'd only really have seen the tail end of his playing career, but possibly know him from his troubled time as Ireland manager uh, when he was lambasted by the press. And also perhaps his impassioned speech to the press where he said, I'm the boss. I'm the gaffer. At the end of the day, what I say goes, the buck stops with me, which feels very sort of Captain Phillips, I am the captain now, uh, to me. So an interesting approach to facing the media from Steve. Yeah. In truth, Staunton enjoyed a 20-year career as one of the Premier League's most accomplished left-backs. He was a tough tackler and a popular figure at Liverpool and Aston Villa, where he spent two spells of each club. But he was also a constant menace going forward, chipping in with assists regularly and occasionally goals. Rewind to October 1989 and the League Cup match against Wigan, where Steve Staunton scored a remarkable hat-trick. All the more impressive because he came on as a sub. What? This was um, due to an injury to Ian Rush. And for reasons completely unbeknown to me, Staunton was given a more attacking role in this particular game, uh, forward from his usual left-back position. And I'm taking this from an article in the Liverpool Echo. His first goal came after 59 minutes when David Burrows escaped up the Wigan right before sending an attempting cross. Staunton poked home. He notched his second of the night 10 minutes later, taking possession of the ball on the edge of the box. He looked up before firing an unstoppable shot past the keeper. And with just three minutes to go, he crashed his third goal home and Liverpool won 3-0. Uh, and that night, Staunton actually became the first substitute in Liverpool's history to score a hat-trick, which is a remarkable achievement from a natural left-back. And for me, Arthur, kind of smacks of Danny Butterfield in the FA Cup for Crystal Palace. Oh, Danny Butterfield, that perfect hat-trick. What a moment that was. Incredible. I mean, Neil Warnock actually said that uh, apparently it came to his wife in a dream. And he listened and decided to play Danny Butterfield up front that day. <laughs> Utterly bizarre. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning, I, I, I said earlier, the sponsorships of the cup. Um, mm. I, I mean, one of the famous ones was the Milk Cup. And that yeah. was very early to the mid 80s. But I think I think at this point, when Steve scored his hat-trick, it had been, re- it had been replaced by the Little Woods Challenge Cup. <laughs> It just sounds so lame, doesn't it? I mean, that's got to be the most niche of the sponsorship. I, it, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was succeeded by the Rumbelows Cup. Goodness <laughs> me. Yeah, absolutely shocking. Um, but Steve actually had a glittering history in the League Cup, whatever it was called. Um, in 1994 and 96, uh, Staunton won what was then called the Coca-Cola Cup. He was on the score sheet five times in total in the League Cup. Uh, Another, a beautiful chip finish in a game against rivals Birmingham City as Villa headed to the 94 final. Um, So a a really prominent figure in the history of this competition. I I think the funniest thing I I found about Steve Staunton was actually when he was playing in the 94 World Cup in the USA for Ireland. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's sweltering heat. And Steve Staunton, um, with his ginger hair and pale complexion, as they run along the line with the camera and they're singing the national anthem you, you just see Staunton wearing this baseball cap to, to stand there for the uh the national anthem it's really strange looks totally american dad vibes 
Um, oh, just, just a baseball cap. Just a baseball cap. Oh, well, he was wearing his kit, obviously. Ah, okay. it yeah, it wasn't just kind of need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Steve, what what a guy. And um, for me, a League Cup stalwart. Yes. And he will be joined by Matt Elliott. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I want to say that he's, he scored in a final. He did. Yes, he did. Yes. Um, Though English-born, his Scottish grandmother gave him the chance to represent Scotland 18 times. Uh, He was a tough nut at centre-back who became a mainstay in a Leicester side that surprised many in the top flight and also um, performed admirably in cup competitions. Um, Elliot became synonymous with the Foxes' bruising style of play uh, that made them one of the hardest sides to play in the Premier League. He sometimes courted controversy with his discipline throughout his time at Leicester, but remained a key player uh, under Martin O'Neill and then his successor, Peter Taylor. Um, Martin O'Neill's Leicester had an unbelievable League Cup record at that time. Uh, They won it in 1997. Uh, Sadly, Elliot was cup-tied for that, having signed earlier that season, and finished runner-up two years later. And in that game, when they lost 1-0 to 10-man Tottenham in the 1999 final, uh, Tony Cotty dropped to his knees in tears. At age 33, he thought it was his last chance of winning a major trophy. And at that point, um, Martin O'Neill made the promise to him that Leicester would be back the following year. And like all good films, they were. Uh, Their run to a third League Cup final in four seasons was far from smooth. Um, (laughs) uh, Greek midfielder, this is a lovely throwback, Theodorus Zagarakis. Yes. uh, Ended up in goal in one of the ties against Crystal Palace after injuries to keeper Peggy Arfaxad and Tim Flowers. Um, I think I might have mentioned to you before, Peggy Arfaxad is actually a colleague of mine. (laughs) What? Yeah, yeah. He um, so uh, I work in sports insurance, and we have a um, we have an office in Paris, and uh, and Peggy Arfaxad is part of that. So he works in sports <laughs> insurance now. Legend. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, there was a penalty shootout win as well over David o- David O'Leary's Leeds, uh, whilst Leicester trailed two nil to Fulham with six minutes remaining in the quarterfinals. Um, and they, and they came back from that incredibly. Elliot also played a starring role, scoring the only goal of the two-legged semi-final against Aston Villa, thereby obviously keeping two clean sheets in the process, which probably is, is, is more, of a, more of a feather to his cap than the goal for a centre-back. Perhaps. Um, he said the team was a mix of waifs and strays to some degree, with a blend of quality and experience in the shape of Flowers, Cotty and Sinclair. Um, I mean, they ended up facing second-tier Tranmere in the final, um, which which meant they were absolutely favourites. Um, Elliot nodded in the opener um, before you'll never guess who was sent off for Tranmere. Oh, don't know. Clint Hill. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know Clint Hill played for Tranmere. I didn't, but he he did make one of our previous 11s, Arthur. He was in the 1-11. to 11. He was absolutely an iconic number two. No, number two or three? Three. three. Oh, one, I think one three. Of those. He really yeah. sticks in the mind as one of those numbers. One of those, yeah. <laughs> so clearly as a, you know, insert number. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, former Foxes striker David Kelly equalised with 13 minutes left before another Elliot header made it 2-1 to secure Leicester's first Wembley Cup final win as they took home the Worthington Cup. Oh! <laughs> so two goals for a centre-back in the final. Absolutely epic scenes. Uh, at full time, Robbie Savage leapt on Elliot and unintentionally bit his captain on the side of the face. <laughs> He said, I felt blood trickling down my cheek. It looked like a war wound in the heat of battle. It was Sav getting carried away, sinking his teeth into me. <laughs> so bizarre. That's me. That's very strange. I have um, to say, I, I throughout his career, I found Matt Elliott absolutely terrifying. He's, he's just got this look about him that I, I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. And obviously a tough tackler. Um, it, it made me think maybe he would be a good manager. But yeah, I, I actually saw Arthur. I don't know whether you did that. He he did have a brief spell in management. I didn't know what what happened. He managed Thai team Army United for a season. <laughs> are they affiliated with Leicester? They are, and that's why oh, he got yeah. the job. Um, and then he left that role quite quite soon after he joined, and is is then took a spell as manager of De Montfort University. Oh right, Good. what a managerial career that is. I- I hope he thrived with them. I I don't know. I, mm. I it's quite hard to find out <laughs> what De Montfort's results are really. Um, I guess you look at the, the Bucks league table. Yeah. Um, do Do you feel he's a Matty? Could he be a Matty? No, no. They're a bit more sort of good natured Matties, aren't they? Yeah, I think Matty Matty Etherington, Matty Matty Cash, Matty Target. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's a Matt, not a Matthew. I could see him being a Matthew Elliott. Mm. Mm. Who knows? Maybe. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe Anyways. at like a dinner party, he'd be Matthew. But I yeah. feel like on the pitch, he's a Matt. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. Um, also, a nice touch was that Elliot's father, Alan, picked up £600 of winnings after placing a £20 bet on his son being the first and last goal scorer. Oh, that's brilliant. But but for a centre back, first and last goal scorers only be 30 to one. That's quite it's quite horrible odds, to be honest. It is horrible odds. But I have to say, Arthur, this other cup eleven has one heck of a prolific defense so far. <laughs> I hope I hope it will be continued, Ben. Who's the other centre back? Yeah, sorry, it's not getting continued, Arthur. The other centre back is Stathis Tavleridis. Who the hell is that? I um I, I delved deep for this. Um <laughs> I am do. yeah, I'm familiar with the name. I, I, I wanted to pick a player who felt very League Cup, and by that I meant his reputation didn't really transcend the League Cup. Uh, and for me, I think this is as much about um the charm of playing a second string in the League Cup. And, and I don't think anyone sort of showed that more deliberately than Arsene Wenger during his time at Arsenal. He had a spell of a few years where every League Cup game was the reserves and it showed us the likes of Korea Gilbert, yes. Arturo Lippoli, Jay Simpson, Quincy Owusu Abeyi, all sort of figureheads really of this Arsenal reserve team that never quite made it into the first team. Um, and, and I want to throw Stathis Tavleridis into that mix, Arthur. Mm, I, I think also Frimpong. Frimpong. Was a big part of that, yeah. yeah. They loved, and, and, and I mentioned Coquelin earlier. They had this yeah. just core 
of yeah. um, just like they they were quite good because they did quite well in the cup competitions. But Wenger had such a good hand that he could rotate to such a degree and have these like he's just like really really like non-descript. yeah like purely cup yeah um, really are but I really I, I'm excited about Stathis I look you, forward to hearing you should be well we're talking here about a titanic centre back a lanky six foot one player born in Provitas Greece um, and at his best Tavleridis was nicknamed the bull due to his aggressive style of play um <laughs> I say it as best. That was at Lille, Saint-Étienne, Heraclis and Panathinaikos, where he'd play in the Champions League and the UEFA Cup. Um, he actually made over 40 appearances in Europe. And that tells us he was a quality player, really. But we didn't see that during his spell at Arsenal between 2001 and 2004. In fact, we barely saw him at all. He signed for £1 million, aged 21, with great expectations. Uh, a bit Mavropanos-esque. He made just eight appearances for Arsenal before moving on, seven of which were in the League Cup. So in other terms, of 667 minutes he played for Arsenal, 652 of them were in the League Cup. <laughs> so that only excludes 15 minutes of Premier League football. He played in a couple of interesting games during his seven-game League Cup spell, Arsenal lost the 2001-2002 quarterfinal 4-0 to Blackburn with Tavleridis at the back. That team included Gilles Grimondi, Igor Stepanovs and John Halls. Uh, and he also played in a 10-9 penalty shootout win against Minnow's Rotherham in 2003. And what I found remarkable about that is that Tavleridis didn't take a penalty despite the fact that it finished 10-9 on penalties, meaning he was the 11th choice taker behind goalkeeper Graham Stack, which <laughs> kind of sums up the uh, the quality that Arsene thought he had on his hands. Tavleridis, sure enough, didn't make the grade. He went to Portsmouth on a short loan deal, which I imagine you were chuffed about, Arthur. Yeah, it, it didn't really work out there either. Um, and eventually he would move on and, like I say, have greater success elsewhere um but also a proponent of the nasal breathing tape which is something i love very kind of Henri camera robbie fowler-esque do you think it's quite league cup i uh, i don't know i feel like clear nasal passages is important in any walk of life um <laughs> but i certainly think stathis owned it in the league cup that was really where that nasal tape came to the fore yeah, I think that's um, that's fair to say. And I, I, actually, one thing I would uh, draw listeners' attention to is, yes, it didn't work out at Arsenal. I think in terms of his lack of talent, um, three caps for Greece probably speaks volumes. I mean, not the strongest nation. Um, Mavropanos probably a, a much, much stronger defender than, uh, than Tavleridis. Um, but I'm also intrigued as you're calling him lanky at six foot one. I, I'm I'm getting increasingly concerned the more you describe anybody over six foot as as uh, certain words. Am I am I some kind of lanky Amazonian juggernaut? Is that yes. is that what do you describe I, me as? That? Yeah. I would say you're gargantuan. Um, <laughs> what you've got to remember, Arthur, is that I'm what you would describe as a diminutive. Uh, tough tackling right back in the in the grand scheme of this podcast. So to me, anyone that's over kind of five foot eleven 
could be described as Amazonian, a juggernaut, a dreadnought, or a Titanic. Am I a hulking centre force? Yeah, yeah. I I kind of fit the mould of Nelson Vivas, I think. It's that kind of agile, feisty, hot-tempered um, former Ascot United fullback. <laughs> so good. Yeah. On the right, it is time for another English-born Scottish international, Graham Murty. Oh, mate. Reading captain, former Reading captain. Love yeah. that you've got him in. I don't remember him doing anything for Reading in the League Cup. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I think the inclusion of any former Reading and Southampton player is oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty uh, pretty par for the course for this podcast. So apologies to the listeners. Um, sadly, he was well past his prime when he made his six appearances for us in the 09-10 League One season. Um, but you must have very, very fond memories of him, Ben. He was the leader in Reading's golden generation. You know, our first promotion to the Premier League, he was captain. I don't think he was always super popular in the dressing room because he 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 had quite a hard line approach to being captain, but the fans loved him because he was no nonsense, never the best defender in the world, um, certainly not the best defender going forward. I remember there were jubilant scenes when he first scored. Um, but he was just such a natural example setter to everyone in that that team. So yeah, fans loved him. Yeah, Wikipedia reliably informs me that in a vote to compile Reading's best ever eleven, Murty was voted right back with fifty six point four percent of the vote. So yeah, um, not good on the lad. Uh, he also won BBC South Sports Personality of the Year uh, in two thousand six, where John Medeski and Steve Koppel also. Honoured that, of course, was the famous 106 point championship winning Reading team. Um, what a moment that was! His League Cup heroics came a lot earlier, though, at York City in the 1995 Coca Cola League Cup second round. Um, a niche throwback. He <laughs> went into the game second from bottom of Division Two, which is nowadays League One. Um, having won only one league game all season, which was a lucky 1-0 victory at Swansea City, courtesy of an own goal. Man United, on the other hand, were joint leaders of the Premier League. On 24 minutes, the first shockwaves rang around Old Trafford when Graham Murty dispossessed Phil Neville with a great tackle <laughs> to feed striker Paul Barnes. Barnes looked up and hit an effort from 25 yards that took a slight deflection. And nestled in the net. United were all at sea as a second Barnes goal and a header from Tony Barris delivered a 3-0 away win for York City. Wow. That's, I mean, just one of the most iconic cup sets in this competition's history. Um, I, I, I also quite like the fact that a lot of these cup sets come quite late in the tournament, but this was very, very early on. Mm. Um, also quite a weird quirk of the competition at that point was that Rounds one and two were two-legged affairs. So York City, after this heroic victory, had to welcome United back to York for a second leg. And United didn't didn't take uh, mercy on them. They unleashed the likes of Roy Keane, Eric Cantona, Peter Schmeichel on them. Um, But thankfully, it wasn't enough to claw back the deficit. York City went through 4-3 on aggregate. Um, wow. which was just a phenomenal victory. Um, and I think what this cup's all about, really, um, 
obviously by by virtue of the fact that it's just league clubs you don't get so many situations where you know a really i mean one team is unbelievably better than the other because the worst you've got bottom of league two and the best you've got top of the premier league which isn't i mean it's a big gap but it's not a all the church versus whoever they're playing in the fa cup um so yeah i mean that's what slightly lacks some magic about the league cup the lack of chasm between the, the sides but this was one where there was a big chasm and york city did manage to uh to to win sadly they lost the next round which as i say was one leg to qpr 3-1 but graham murty had played a huge part in a memorable cup set i think another nice point to note is york city's goalkeeper that day a former charlton premier league icon any ideas um no to be honest dean kiley yes really well <laughs> was it oh wow Kylie, well done i scraped that one out of the bag you really did is that a phrase to scrape out the bag i don't think so i mean you could i guess if there was like sand in the bag yeah if you were like yeah. unload yeah if you just went yeah. to the beach and then, yeah yeah of course yeah, yeah. yeah. Pepper's cross easy for bill he's done he's lost it oh my word it's three nil and that's going to complete a night of misery for manchester united oh my word what a shock this is the stuff that roy the rovers annuals are made of we do love to spare you guys listening to us just talking about random obscure footballers literally just non-stop i mean i get that it's pretty it's pretty taxing on the ears so um we thought we'd break it up a little bit. We've discussed some iconic names who really made their mark on the League Cup. But nonetheless, Physical Scholar 4238 on Reddit speaks sense. Uh, there's so many reasons why this as a competition falls down when compared to other cup competitions. We therefore took it upon ourselves to redesign the League Cup to leapfrog it into England's Premier Cup competition. I mean, I had an idea, which was um, the penalties and replays are just like quite formulaic and boring. Yeah. Um, I, I liked the idea of introducing, um, do you remember on the MLS show, we, we discussed the sort of 90s MLS style penalties where you drew from the halfway line? That would be really good. Yeah. I just think it's just different, isn't it? You know, a lot of what happens in the MLS is a bit gimmicky and rubbish. But so is this competition. So if yeah. we just over gimmick it and create something that, that that would actually be quite entertaining to watch, I'd love to watch, you know, someone dribbling from half the halfway line in that competition. I think it'd be great. I really like that idea, Arthur. I think my only concern is that, you know, that's very much an evolution, not a revolution. So we need to go to penalties to get to that instance. So um, I have come up with another idea, which is more of an overhaul. And and actually, I think you'll quite like this because Southampton haven't played Portsmouth in a number of years now. And I think as a fan, that must be really frustrating because that's the kind of big away day that everyone looks forward to, the big occasion. So I want to propose that we scrap the League Cup and instead we pair rivals together in a two-legged game that happens every year to give the fans the derby that they want. 
Um, and I thought they could be kind of named after players who've played for both teams. So Newcastle Sunderland could be the Stephen Caldwell Cup or Bristol City versus Bristol Rovers, the Jason Roberts Trophy, and Burnley Preston, the Jay McEverly Vars. I just think it will give people an opportunity to see that match that they're dying for every year. Yeah, I'm disappointed you used the Vars one because I was going to say the VFR of Vars. The VFR of Vars. Yeah, that would be nice. I like. But is the it. idea is the idea that those teams would face off against each other, and then the that and then the winning team would emerge, and there would be one victor crowned or is no, it just I, exclusively I think it that was match? just those matches so do you feel like that's where it falls down because it just doesn't yeah, i mean i i think the sort of pyramid works quite well so crowning one ultimate winner but i think right. we could use that as a as, as a basis of, okay. of a plan going forward what one thing that i thought could be interesting obviously we heard a lot about the european super league um I like the idea of, of of turning this into a tournament that has some European glamour fixtures. Um, so you play around Europe at various, you know, a showpiece for the best of Britain, you know, um, right. or the best of England. Um, so, so you could have, for example, Barrow versus Tottenham in Riga. Um, I, I quite like the idea of all heading off on a European tour. Oh, okay. And yes, you know, I know it's important that, that the fans get to see their side fairly local, to you, but I, I'm reliably informed that that you can actually fly to Riga for about fourteen quid. Yeah, um, so I like cheaper it. than a train journey. You know, it's intriguing. It's not great for the environment, oh, and it's and it's not great. It's not great for the players, is it? Is it like they're going to be traveling around the world? But but for the fans watching on TV, great. <laughs> yeah, it's a good TV spectacle. I'll give you that. What about what about this? What about in typical eleven style, we mix current pros and nostalgic legends within the starting lineups of each team? You know what? I was thinking about this as well. I was thinking you could you could do some kind of qualification procedure. So they have to be at least fifty years old, at least one hundred and fifty appearances for said club, uh, and they have to play at least forty five minutes of the game. That's interesting. Um, I like, I like this. It. Yeah. I, I, and I guess, you know, the, the legends might not be as legendary as you might expect, kind of mar- master's football level of calibre. But you could end up with a Villa back four, for instance, of Steve Staunton, Carlos Cuellar, Tyrone Mings and Mark Delaney, or <laughs> um, or even an Everton strike force of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Joe Max Moore. I, I kind of, that appeals to me. As a fan, I would be up for going just to watch a kind of Reading mix of legends and current 11 take on a Tottenham mix of legends and current 11. That'd be great, right? I mean, it would be entertaining to watch. I do worry that um, you could be met with a situation where you're seeing some of your idols just reduced to rubbishness. I mean, I think, you know, after, after 50, perhaps, you know, there's a toll, there's a toll on the body. Um, you might you might see the likes of Matt Latissier tripping over his own feet. Um, yes, he can still take a penalty. We get that, Matt. But in the yeah. game, he, he's going to struggle. Um, and I, you know, I, I love seeing them masters football because they don't have to um, they don't have to run around so much. You know, and they still retain that classy touch. But on an eleven aside pitch, it could just get quite quite depressing to watch that. Maybe um, I don't know though because it works for um, works for soccer aid. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't watch Soccer Aid because I find it painful. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, again, like moments of individual brilliance every now and then, but they are so leggy when they run around the yeah. pitch. It's not very, yeah. I, I mean, I get what you're trying to do. I get what you're trying to do, Ben. You're trying to rip up the script, start all over again. And, yeah. and that needs to be done. This competition is pretty shit. Um, that's why we're spending an episode talking about it. But yeah, I mean, there's many ways we could we can improve this competition. Have you got any more? Or uh... no, no. Okay, I think we'll we'll go with that then. Um, if you have any ways of of making this competition just a bit different from the FA Cup, other than the fact that it's just got fewer teams of better quality in it, um, we'd love to hear from you at eleven pod. The word, not the number, on Twitter. Um, you can get in touch. Genuinely, this is a, a cry for help because we, we've tried to to come up with some ideas and they're, they're frankly pretty rubbish as well. Um, so any help, much appreciated. Well, the chore of listening to us talking about obscure footballers is back. Uh, the cry for help is over. And we move to the left midfield of our other cup eleven. It's Alan Marn. Alan Marn. I mean, is, do, you, do you think there's something about the Irish that really works for a League Cup eleven? I think the luck of the Irish does shine through in this competition. That's what we're finding out. Um, former Blackburn, Burnley, Tranmere, Wigan and more. He was Mr. League Cup consistency, Alan Marn. Uh, and that is kind of... Alan Marne, in my memory, consistently a 7 out of 10. Never let anyone down. Not the best player in any squad he was in, but generally really popular. He played 33 League Cup games in his career, which I actually think is pretty impressive in and of itself when you consider who he played for. Uh, He was a League Cup winner in 2002. That season, Marne was a stalwart in Blackburn's run to the final a run which saw them beat Borough, Man City and Tavleridis' Arsenal, amongst others. Uh, and in the final, Rovers would beat Tottenham thanks to goals from Matt Janssen and Andy Cole. But despite his contributions, Marm was desperately unlucky to be an unused sub in that final, the only stain on the achievement. Sorry, as Tavleridis' Arsenal... Is that is that something that anyone's ever said before? No, I'm the first to say it, and I think I will also <laughs> be the last... I think I, I like the idea that forever when you refer to Arsenal now, you'll just you'll just say Tavleridis is Arsenal. Tavleridis is Arsenal. Yeah, it feels right, doesn't it? It does. It really does. <laughs> Unfortunately, Cup Finals was Marne's bag. As a youngster, he'd been part of the underdog Tranmere side that you talked about earlier, Arthur. Um, they lost out to Leicester. Uh, and then in 2006, Marne made the League Cup final again with Wigan only to be out of the squad for the final with Man United, a final which Wigan lost 4-0. And then the luck of the Irish and indeed Marne followed him to Burnley in 08-09. A championship side at the time, Burnley took Tottenham to extra time over two legs in the semi-finals, having scored three unanswered goals in the second leg. They'd miss out but continue Marne's remarkable form in the League Cup. Uh, and Alan Marne was a dressing room favourite by the sounds of things. Jimmy Bullard talks fondly of him during his time at Wigan and buying him porn DVDs as a Christmas present. And he'll be popular with you, Arthur, as he's another for our Diddy Play There 11. After success with Tranmere, Alan Marne 
briefly headed to Portugal to sign for Sporting Lisbon. That is incredible. I I don't really know what to say. Um, He played just one game for them. And that one game was in the Champions League at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. (laughs) (laughs) Go, Alan. What a a European trip. We love Alan, man. We absolutely do. He would have been a stalwart in the Brits Abroad eleven if Ireland was British. Um, But it's not, famously. No, it's not (laughs) British. And therefore, it's not a suggestion. Neither is Northern Ireland. I was... um, I mean, yeah, I think most people know that, but I, I really struggle to distinguish between Britain oh. and the United Kingdom. And yeah. both of them don't include Northern Ireland. No. So, it, yeah, you've got to add them. You do. I mean, you if do. you're still listening, um, this is actually a football podcast, not a geography podcast. Um, so, yeah. You, ne- you never know, really, would you? No. Anyway, in the centre is Barry Ferguson. Barry Bazza. What a man. I'm loving the Scots in this podcast. I really am. You're loving yeah. the Irish and I'm loving the Scots. Um, Barry Ferguson, who does have some letters after his name, MBE. What? Yes. Services to League Cup football? Uh, yes, exactly. Oh, um, wow. He's a highly decorated Rangers club legend. He's got five SPLs, five Scottish Cups, five Scottish League Cups, and oh, so close to European success as a UEFA Cup runner-up in 2007-8. These included a treble in 2003, where he was also named SFWA Footballer of the Year. Um, so a serious CV on him. And that's probably why he got the MBE. A £7.5 million move to Blackburn would not work out well, but later stints would turn out a lot better. In 2009, he was signed by former manager Alex McLeish, who said the midfielder had unfinished business in England. I think this is a classic case of unfinished business because when he when he signed for Blackburn, he immediately had quite a few injuries and and struggled with the uh, the English game uh, before returning to Scotland to achieve huge success at Rangers again. Um, McLeish went on to say he was very capable of complete competing with the best players in the Premier League. And I completely agree with that. I think he was an absolutely quality player and slightly underappreciated in this country. That season, he won Birmingham Player of the Year and had the highest number of completed passes of any player in the Premier League, according to Opta. Wow. Um, Which is pretty impressive, considering I I don't really remember that Birmingham team as sort of a a team that passed teams off the park. Uh, no. I remember he used to play in the midfield alongside Keith Farhi, who for me is like one of the most 11 footballers ever. Yeah, he, he really is. It was to get better in 2011 when Ferguson led Birmingham on a memorable League Cup journey. It started off far from glamorously in front of just 6,000 fans at a rain-soaked St Andrews. Um, They fell behind against League One Rochdale before rallying to win 3-2. And fans at the time were treated to the debut of a 16-year-old Nathan Redmond. Absolute legend. Nice. It culminated in dreamland. Birmingham reached the final of the Carling Cup and dispatched Arsenal 2-1. Whilst they were both Premier League sides... 
the gulf between them was huge. And there were even rumours that Arsenal had discussed who would lift the trophy in the absence of injured Cesc Fabregas. A brittle yet occasionally brilliant team, Arsenal had shown two sides of their character in games leading up to the final. They'd beaten Barcelona 2-1 in the Champions League and then drawn with Leighton Orient in the FA Cup. So no one quite knew what was going to happen. Victory in that game was even more incredible in that Barry Ferguson played the last hour of the game with a broken rib. Whoa. <laughs> oh. McLeish said it shows his pain threshold. It's frightening, but it shows the character of the guy to do that. Uh, and he was that. He was a workhorse in the centre midfield, a passing machine, wore his heart on his sleeve. Just a fantastic player. On loan, Obafemi Martins. Uh, late substitute in that final had only been on the pitch for six minutes when a moment of confusion between Koscielny and Szczesny led the ball to spill at his feet with the goal gaping and he couldn't miss. His simple finish secured the win and only the second major trophy for a club that had been founded in 1875. Ben Foster with 11 saves was named man of the match in that game. Um, He was just huge for Birmingham City in that period of time. Yeah, do you know what? That's probably, for me, the most memorable League Cup final. I, I really clearly remember watching that one. And um, it was a shock at the time because Birmingham were serious underdogs. Um, and unlike the Arsenal reserve teams of previous years, this was a strong Arsenal side that were beaten. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, this is a cup that's got more and more and more boring in recent years. Mm. Um, in the sense of Man City's grip on this competition has just been ridiculous. Um, And rarely do you see situations like this where an underdog wins a final um, in the League Cup. So it's it's nice to to have a a nod to one of these occasions. Um, Liam Ridgewell, who was Birmingham's left back that game, uh, said the celebrations were huge. Uh, We wanted to prove everyone wrong that we could win against a big team. It was a great afternoon, a great evening, a great night, a great early morning and a great next day. It was well worth celebrating. Good oh. good to hear of all the greatness there from Liam Ridgewell. Fantastic. And um, if you've got vouchers for Christmas, um, you can check out on Amazon Blue, which is the autobiography of Barry Ferguson, The Life and Times of the Man, Sports Book of the Year, available for 95p. Do you reckon we'll get paid for that advertising, Arthur? I hope so. Barry, do get in touch at 11pod. Alongside Barry is Alan. Alan who? It's not Alan Marner. Actually, actually, Barry is sandwiched between Alans. Um, Not only Alan Marner, but also Alan Nielsen. (laughs) Nielsen. Okay. Yeah. We've mentioned four-time winners Tottenham a few times so far, um, but not one of their title wins. So let's put that right. The floppy-haired, all-action attacking midfielder Alan Nielsen. In 1998-99, he played in the final of the then Worthington Cup between Spurs and Leicester. Uh, As the BBC described, this will be remembered as one of the dullest cup finals of all time. In fact, the Telegraph also named it their second-worst League Cup final since 1996. With barely any goal mouth action, the only incident of interest was a red card to Justin Edinburgh, who retaliated to a Robbie Savage trip with a slap around the chops. 
But in injury time, the breakthrough. Stefan Everson broke down the right-hand side, shot towards goal. Casey Keller parried. And there was Alan Nielsen reacting quickest to head home on the dive. And the scenes were jubilant. Uh, Nielsen was given the Alan Hardacre trophy for man of the match in the final. Um, and, and really, this was the highlight of Nielsen's career. He was a teenage prodigy in Denmark. He was scooped up as an 18-year-old by Bayern Munich, only to be discarded after one sub-appearance in three seasons. So he played only six minutes for the club. But it was a goal at Euro 96, which caught the eye of Jerry Francis at Tottenham. And actually, it's Nielsen's performances in the Danish national team, which sparked my memory. He played at the World Cup in 98, again scoring for his country and at Euro 2000, scoring eight goals in total for his national side. And he spent many of the final years of his career in England too, becoming a cult figure at Wolves and Watford. Life after football was interesting for Nielsen too. He hasn't left the spotlight. He's married to Tina Lunt, who is a 19-time Danish equestrian champion and <laughs> more generally a celebrity. Um, as well as a reality TV star and presenter, Lunt has even tried her hand at music. In fact, Arthur, I can play you a bit of her single. It's called Take a Ride. I um, I don't really know what to think of that. Is it is it about riding her dressage horse, or I hope it is. <laughs> or about Alan Nielsen? I I don't really know. Um, I really hope it's the dressage horse. Yeah, uh, it sort of sent me on a bit of a rabbit warren of YouTube videos, including one of her teaching Alan Nielsen how to ride a horse. So uh, that's uh, that took up a bit of my day. But um, Alan Nielsen will always be remembered for that League Cup goal by Tottenham fans. And um, I think he warrants a place in our 11. Yeah, I, I mean, he's actually not a player I associate at all with um, stints at Wolves and Watford, even though he's played more times at Watford than, than Tottenham. I just I see him in a Denmark or a Tottenham shirt. Um, one thing as well, I do I do see that he was there. Uh, he was spreading misinformation regarding COVID-19 and its vaccines. Mm. Um, so he's gone full Matt Latisse, which yeah. is a shame to see. Yeah. He's quite outspoken generally. I think he's like a life coach now. Um, right. So okay. he gives loads of motivational advice and um, some of it has been kind of anti-COVID, which oh. I don't Alan. agree with. Yeah. Alan. Silly Alan. Alan. Steve. <laughs> Who's on the right-hand side of the midfield, Arthur? It's not Steve. Oh. It's Mark. 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 You're never going to get this one. <laughs> Mark Kennedy. That would be so good. No, it's Mark Lazarus. Oh. I won't. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to blame you for uh, for not knowing him. No. Um, he's from quite a long time ago. Okay. Um, I'll tell you about that in a bit. 
Aged 18, he joined Leighton Orient and turned professional, as well as three periods with QPR. Mm. He played for Orient twice, uh, plus Crystal Palace and Brentford, as well as a fairly unhappy spell at Wolves. Uh, he had 400 Football League appearances, over 100 goals. He was born and raised in London. And this will give you a hint as to the period of time I'm talking about. He played for Jimmy Greaves' father's team on oh, wow. sports. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually best mates with Jimmy and used to go to the pitchers with him. Um, a little bit about the history of the League Cup. And I thought it was important to, uh, to draw attention to this because it started in 1960, uh, but wasn't popular initially. Only 46 of the 92 Football League sides actually entered. Um it had been started to deflect interest from the new midweek continental trophies. Uh, so a lot of the big clubs swerved it in the early years. Um, so basically to encourage the big clubs to join in, the Football League took action. And from 1967 onwards, the final would be a one-off Wembley affair with the winners qualifying for the Fairs Cup, which was a predecessor to what is now known, to what is now the Europa League. Mm. Um, Lazarus's third division QPR got to the League Cup final in 1967 by overcoming six opponents, including Birmingham City in a two-legged semi-final. Uh, trailing 1-0 to Birmingham at halftime in the first leg at St Andrews, QPR recovered to win 4-1 in their standout display on the run to the final. Um, the 1967 League Cup final has so many angles from it being the first in the competition's history to be played at Wembley uh, to third division QPR coming from 2-0 down to beat top flight holders West Brom. Mm -hmm. The winner was controversial in that QPR's Ronnie Hunt exchanged a 1-2 with Lazarus before colliding heavily with the Albion keeper Dick Shepherd. Um, the ball was spilled and ran kindly to Lazarus. He said... There's a lot of people who say the goal shouldn't have stood. I disagree. Ronnie Hunt was entitled to go for the ball and he definitely made contact with him. It came to me and I put it in. In celebration, they went back to their hotel in Queensway for a big party and Fats Domino happened to be there. Do you know who Fats Domino is? I, I vaguely know that name. But I don't know where from. He's like a classic kind of jazz and blues musician from okay. the 60s. Um, right. Some of his famous songs are Blueberry Hill and he did a really, really good rendition of Oh When the Saints, um, okay. which might be the sort of iconic jazzy one that you you know if you've, you've heard the song. Lazarus said he was staying in the same hotel. He joined in, played a few tunes. I, I, I love the idea that this just iconic jazz musician is just there and, and has a party with the team. Yeah. Um, Lazarus said it was a real pleasure. And if you ask me of all the clubs I played for, who I would have liked to score the winning goal in the cup final at Wembley. It would have been QPR. Rangers have become the first ever third tier team to win a major trophy in England. Sure enough, although they won promotion to the second division that season, their lack of top flight status saw them banned by UEFA from the Fairs Cup they'd qualified for, oh. which is outrageous. It would have been a lovely, a lovely story arc to that if they'd gone and like won the Europa League or then Europa League. Um, after his footballing career was over, 
Uh, Lazarus became a minder for snooker players, including Steve Davis at the time of his loss to Dennis <laughs> Taylor in the 1985 World Snooker Championship final. <laughs> what a fascinating guy. Really That's random. Incredible. As of 2007, he ran a haulage firm in Romford. <laughs> and in the same year, he was named in the list of top 100 QPR players of all time. Oh. Um, so our friend Alex Manning, who's a big QPR fan, will probably have fond memories of him, or not memories, but have read about him, I guess. <laughs> what a fascinating guy. Oh, I love that pick. Falls in vitally here to Alan Martin. He may fancy a goal. It's a good effort. Oh, what a screamer! Alan Martin! What a fantastic goal! So many scorers of iconic goals in this competition. Have you got one up front? Yes. Good. I have. <laughs> what a night and what a free kick. It's Freddie Eastwood. Yes, a South End legend. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we're, we're going back now to a cold night in November 2006, uh, where the stage was set for a compelling last 16 tie in the League Cup. The holders, Man United, visiting Roots Hall, the home of then championship strugglers, South End United. Rooney and Ronaldo both started in a strong United side. Campbell, Rice and Sodji for the hosts. But it was fan favourite Freddie Eastwood who would bag the only goal, a masterful free kick whipped with his right past Thomas Kujak in the United goal. Photographers captured his knee slide for the front pages and the script for one of the most special cup sets in history had been written. I, I remember this really clearly. I watched the game and um, though Southend were in the championship, no one backed the Shrimpers to win that night. Um, Southend would march on to the quarterfinals where they'd take Tottenham to extra time, eventually losing 1-0 to a Jermaine Defoe goal. And in some ways, their achievements would be overshadowed, unfortunately, because that same year, Wickham of League Two reached the semi-finals and it wasn't until the second leg of their tie with eventual winners Chelsea that class shone through. Uh, and on top of that, Southend were relegated at the end of the season. Would their fans have traded survival for a League Cup run? I, I don't know, actually. I feel like that was such a special night for Southend fans that, that really they, they like it that way around. Yeah, I think it's that age-old question of of what's more important, cup success or league. And if relegation comes with financial turmoil, then I think you'd probably say league survival is better. But the cup runs just is so special. If I could trade winning the FA Cup for getting relegated, a la Wigan, I would do it. I think I think it's just you live as a football fan for those moments of success and moments of glory. And I guess a cup run not win is very different. <laughs> yeah, that's true, Arthur. I mean, as for Freddie Eastwood, uh, lots of people know about him, but he never played in the Premier League. And it's probably because of that night. Um, he was someone who grafted in the first and second rounds throughout his career. His success at South End earned him a move to Wolves, which incidentally wouldn't work out at all. Uh, but also appearances for Wales, for whom he'd score four goals in 11 games. And with so much attention geared towards Eastwood on the pitch, uh, eventually some seeped away from it. This is quite remarkable, really. I don't know whether you knew this, but 
the fans and media alike became intrigued with his life as a traveller. He was a proud member of the Romani gypsy community that resided on Cranfield Park Avenue, a site near a dual carriageway in Basildon. Indeed, the wheels on his house go round and round became a popular chant on the Roots Hall terraces. Um, but yeah, he was he was spotted and pictured on the, in the newspapers, uh, effectively riding up a motorway. Um, it, it was incredible. Um, but yeah, he was from a gypsy community and he, he did a lot of great work, I think, to spread the word and help people to to understand and relate to that community. I, I'm intrigued as to why it didn't work out at Wolves. I mean, I'm reading that he scored on his full debut in the League Cup against Bradford City and finished his first month with four goals to his name, earning the Championship Player of the Month award for August. So it started off so positively, but the goals dried up. And then subsequently, his spell at Coventry City, just, I mean, 17 goals in 113 games. Not ideal, but I guess to play that many games, he must have been a decent support striker. Um, but but at the time, South End had actually some pretty damn good strikers. They had Freddie Eastwood, and then when he left, Lee Barnard slotted in um, and and scored loads of goals. So uh, yeah, I mean, wasn't to be for Freddie, but that moment in the League Cup was just so special. It sort of it sort of had shades of Michael Mifsud against Man U for Coventry City <laughs> as well. Shades of Michael Mifsud. What a brilliant <laughs> quote. <laughs> if you're a regular listener to the 11, you'll know that there's always a position in our 11 that is up for grabs. And we get nominations coming in from journalists, football personalities. Uh, to complete our 11, you get to vote on Twitter at 11pod. Uh, and this time you'll be deciding the other striker in our The Other Cup. 11. Today's first nomination comes in from Chris Lebkowski. Absolutely delighted to have Chris on the pod. Um, a really talented journalist and author, ex-media head at West Bromwich Albion. He's a big West Brom fan. Uh, he wrote the book Bazaglo to Ballis, uh, and he also stars on the Liquidator pod. All round great guy to follow on Twitter for football fans at Chris Lebkowski. Let's see who he nominates for the other cup 11. October the 25th, 1989. Uh, me, I'm 13 years old. Um, it's the night of the League Cup. I think it was the Rumbelows or Littlewoods Cup at the time. And I'm monitoring and looking at how clubs are getting on on CFAX or Teletext. And I noticed that Oldham keeps scoring and scoring and scoring. They're playing Scarborough. Now, Oldham were an up-and-coming team then. In the second division or the second tier, um, about to get promoted, um, getting to cup finals, getting to semi-finals, really doing well under Joe Raw. And this guy called Frankie Bunn scores one, scores two, scores three. Hattrick, brilliant. Fourth goal, fifth goal. In the end, Frankie Bunn scores six goals in a 7-0 win against Scarborough. I'd never heard of Frankie Bunn before that day. And I'll be honest, I had to Wikipedia to find out what he did afterwards. He didn't do much. Retired within a year. But for that one night, Frankie Bunn was football. Everything pointed towards this great goal scorer playing for Oldham Athletic. 
Frankie Bun, I salute you. Frankie Bun. Yeah, I, I actually am more familiar with his son, Harry Bun, from the matches he's played against Reading, funnily enough. I don't know why, but I was I was thinking, is it Mark Bun, the goalkeeper? Yeah, Mark Bun. Yeah. We've actually had a lot of buns, haven't we? <laughs> we love buns. Love buns. Thanks, Chris. Uh, a couple more to fling into the mix. One for the Grimsby fans out there. Phil Jevons. <laughs> I don't even know where I know that name from. It must yeah. be Grimsby. Grimsby. He's a real sort of bell ringer of a player. He rings bells. Um, but is it for his brief stint as a Premier League player, maybe, Arthur, for Everton in the late 90s? I mean, it could be. I I don't think so. It might equally be for his howitzer of a goal for Grimsby in perhaps the greatest upset of League Cup history. Uh, we're talking 2001. After some impressive rearguard action, Grimsby Town of the First Division took holders Liverpool to extra time at Anfield. A McAllister penalty gave Liverpool an advantage, but Marlon Brooms, another Premier League alumni, volleyed home for 1-1. Cue a mad scramble for a late winner and a moment to savour for boyhood Liverpool fan Jevons. He scored a simply incredible long-range goal to send Grimsby into rapture. It really was amazing. 2-1 at the death. Sorry, 2-1 at the death. Pandemonium and one of the giants killed off. Jevons did peak there, to be honest. He worked his his way down through the leagues gradually. Um, To be fair, scoring a fair amount at every level. uh, And he ended his career at Stockport with a career record of roughly one goal every three games. So um, a Premier League player who starred in the League Cup. You mentioned McAllister there. I, I have always wondered, Alexis McAllister, did his parents just absolutely love Gary McAllister? I don't think that's how surnames work, is it? Oh, but it's like his name, it's like his whole name. It's just like, uh, I mean, yeah. But as a today... <laughs> no, no, I don't think that's how it works. But where's it come from? It's not Argentinian, is his it? His dad represented Scotland. Alexis oh McAllister. So his dad is Scottish and his mum is Argentinian. That's how surnames work. <laughs> but why is it separate? Is his dad's name McAllister know. or Matt? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> My nomination is Marouan Shamat. Oh, oh, no. Oh, I've just thought what this might be about. Yeah. I mean, first things first, an excellent option for fantasy football. Yes. Shamak my pitch up. I yeah, quite like. like that. Um, Shamak. I, I really liked also his his um, the fact that he was balding for much of his career, but had a superb comb over. Mm, um, a wrong. Bordeaux legend, their fourth all-time top goal, goal scorer. Whilst he was an irregular goal scorer for Arsenal, he did notch in six Champions League games in a row. Mm. which is pretty insane. Uh, There was also the small matter, and I think this is what you feared, Ben, of the incredible League Cup match against Reading in 2012. Mm. I mean, I am sorry to dredge up bad memories for you, but it is a League Cup classic. I remember watching it with you at Walkabout in Exeter. Yeah. Do you remember it? Was it Tossers? I've tried to forget, but it was awful. I mean, we were 4-0 up. You were there. There was a night at um, this pub walkabout in Exeter called Tossers, where you could get a free pint if you called heads or tails correctly. 
Um, so we we used to get pissed there quite often. Um, Reading were 4-0 up in the first half, as you say. Goals from Roberts, an own goal from Kashalny, Ledgetwood and Noel Hunt. Um, but then Theo Walcott and Marin Shamak came alive. A- an absolutely obscene sequence of scoring uh, culminated in Walcott's 96th minute equaliser, taking the teams into extra time for all. Um, Shamak and Pogrebniak exchanged goals before Walcott and Shamak both scored again in added time of extra time to seal a frankly astonishing 7-5 victory for Arsenal. I just felt we had to mention a 7-5 victory just because it's just extraordinary to see that much goal scoring in a game. Yeah, I mean, I wish we hadn't mentioned it. But uh, I suppose it is a fair pick, Arthur. He can go in the poll too. At 11 pod, the word, not the number. Your pick. Uh, is it Bun? Is it Jevons? Or is it Shimak? Not quite getting into today's starting 11. Um, we've got some impact subs to talk about. Um, very quickly, i just like to give a nod to uh, Manolo Gabbiadini. Oh, Yes. 2017 League Cup final, two goals, one wrongfully disallowed, could have been a League Cup final hat-trick and delivering Southampton's first major silverware since 1976, but the referee robbed us. So um, there we go. I am sorry, Arthur. Uh, And another that nearly made my pick is Martin Granger. A functional, wholehearted left back for Birmingham City played in the 2001 final, uh, where Brum, then a Championship team, took Liverpool all the way to penalties before narrowly missing out. And he just felt very League Cup for me. Yeah, and no, I agree with that pick. Um, but I'm happy he's on the bench because the starting lineup is just classic. We've got Matt Duke in goal, a centre back pairing of Matt Elliott and Stathis Tavlaridis. On the left, it's Steve Staunton, and on the right, it's Graham Murty. In the middle of the park, we've got Barry Ferguson alongside Alan Nielsen. On the left, it's Alan Mann, and on the right of midfield, it's Mark Lazarus. Then up front is Freddie Eastwood, and a choice of yours. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.